as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Cameron Scott of Cinema Degeneration Podcast. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Oh. Constantly guesting on Legion Podcasts and other podcasts that explore terror beyond. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, tonight, tonight we're going to talk about George Romero, the late great. How he became a cult favorite um, and got his work reevaluated. Um, Cam, what was your introduction to him uh to be honest uh was through watching halloween 2 i remember watching halloween oh, really? 2 in in 1981 and then you know there there's the scene where michael is stalking the 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 older couple and they're watching uh night living dead which i immediately was <laughs> i was like five years old when that came came out and i saw like the halloween 2 when it first came out so then I saw. I immediately sought out Night of the Living Dead, and then sought out everything. And I am a, an admitted zombie fanatic. So, as so far as I'm concerned, he is the Godfather of the undead. <clears throat> nice. But, uh, so yeah, that that was my introduction. Was uh, you know, good old Michael Myers kind of introduced me to George Romero in a manner of speaking. <laughs> <laughs> movie within a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, because you know, every horror movie, if they they want that. That public domain flick that's it's usually the go-to either that or like you know plan nine from outer space it seems to be <laughs> that's an interesting way to put it because yeah it does seem like everybody gets in the habit of just one movie and it's like it didn't even matter if they saw the rest of their movies it's like that was the go-to from that point on <laughs> like, yeah right reference um uh so john uh when did he first pop up on your radar well, for me, it was my brother having a VHS of Dawn of the Dead. Time. <laughs> was it one of those where they say where it's not rated R, but it's not advisable for anyone under 18 to watch this? Exactly. That's what I had. <laughs> nice. It was that one was Dawn, Night, and Day. So I was able to watch all three of them at the same time. So Very cool. That was interesting. Yeah, um, so I've always just, he's always been on my radar in some way, just because not only does virtually every zombie movie or show reference him, but even just 
you know, and aside from just John Carpenter kind of, you know, referencing him, much like Sam Raimi and Wes Craven would reference each other, you know, it was interesting just seeing how he just kind of just would just show up, just at every panel, just a very intelligent man, and he kind of just was one of many people in the 70s uh, who just uh, pretty much just established that you could uh, just have some social commentary that wasn't over the top or just, uh, you know, poorly rendered or it, it stood out in a good way versus you got all these ideas, but you don't know how to kind of intersect them with the main premise, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, he didn't have yeah. to beat you over the head with him. He was he was subtle about it. Mm-hmm. And Which I appreciate that, especially at yeah. the time. Well, and I think it helped that we had other movies just for every generation, like even just The Hitcher and uh, Candyman, I think, are two very key movies, which just showed that you could experiment with different kinds of subgenres and as well as just different elements and give your movie its own unique identity without just feeling like, yeah, I'm just trying to capitalize on everybody else. <laughs> Uh, and his work, uh, you know, it, it is interesting which of them are being reevaluated. We're seeing a lot of people talk about Season of the Witch now, and some people saying, well, I, I like The Crazies Growing Up. I don't think it's a good movie now. And yet, Martin is still kind of becoming better known. Um, but also, I mean, yeah, uh, it, it is interesting to see how many have actually gone out to seek all of his movies. I've sought out everything. I, I mean, gosh, I mean, like when the amusement park debuted on Shutter a few months back, it being you know his lost film, I, I was there like waiting for the minute that it dropped on streaming. I was like just salivating, <laughs> just waiting. Up. Yeah, yeah, my eyes were bloodshot, just like bursting at the seams, just waiting to just like give it to me, just give it to me right now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I saw it online through an online portal, and I was just like, yeah, this is a very interesting movie. I don't understand why it got scrapped. Like, you would have to literally, I don't know. I, I doubt the group actually got it. I think they just thought it was weird and unfocused, and so they didn't, because they didn't understand much of anything, they therefore, you know, forfeited the sell. But it's like, it, it just goes to show, I mean... I mean, there was experimental vampire movies like Genja and Hess, you know, which is kind of an mm -hmm. urban black vampire movie. And it, I, I think that's a good kind of both that and, and the amusement park are kind of just movies that show that sometimes even when you don't offend the distributor, especially in that case, a religious educational organization, if they still don't get it, then they just don't know what to do with it. So then they just hang on to it until someone you know quits and takes off with it. It's sells it to a random festival um uh and it is interesting how so many of his other movies if no one saw his zombie movies chances are someone definitely saw some of his other material i, I definitely know that my mother went and saw a creep show back in the day she had like a date and she was just like i can't stand this movie and walked out <laughs> and <it didn't> <laughs> And Walked out I, a creep show, huh? <laughs> I guess. She's not as big a film buff. But um, I, I know that my parents' main introduction to Ed Harris was through Knight Riders. So, fun fact. 
It just yep. uh, same played. same here. <laughs> it commonly <laughs> played on those movie channels back in the day. Now, I think most everyone just knows Ed Harris from just Apollo 13 and The Rock and other blockbusters. But it's like, yeah, that was like one of his first movies. <laughs> and it's also it's also interesting to see other people who that was their first movie and it was basically, you know, it was kind of an adventure drama as a you know just showing what happens to the freaks and actors at amusement parks and uh in fact i think uh medieval times would be a good comparison if it was a national touring fair what would it be like you know <laughs> people who just can't hang it up get too attached to their role it's like an extreme version of medieval times right <laughs> yeah totally yeah That's exactly it um and patricia tallman yeah future uh, night of the living dead remake star in babylon 5 you know was in that as the girlfriend i thought how cool <laughs> i didn't realize that was yeah. her <laughs> yeah I didn't well, that either, I, to be honest i think uh george's wife was even like savini's lover or something like that in night riders if i remember right i haven't watched it in about two years but i remember her being in that and kind of putting the tom savini putting the moves on her i'm like <laughs> i thought that was odd yeah <laughs> he he that's the other thing too. I've I've been one of many people who've had a terrible convention experience with him, but I've noticed that he's oh you too, huh? <laughs> yeah, <same. laughs> and yet all the females seem to like him because he basically treats the female fans right. He's I don't know I don't want to say he's a perd or anything, but he's very favoritism. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I've had a, I had a weird experience when I met him. Uh, I was sixteen, and my mother took me to a convention. He hit on my mom and just ignored me. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, wait a wow. minute. Why are you hitting on my ma? <laughs> Have you ever bothered with him, John? <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah. It's very weird because, yeah, like Scott's saying, it is kind of one of those, like, it's, it's not blunt. It's not like he's saying anything bad, but he is like, he, his, his mind dwindles. He gets very easily bored. And <laughs> it's just like, what's going on here? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, so I think that movie's kind of getting a little more love. I didn't explode to it right away, but I thought it was still kind of, I'm just, I, I know it made an impression on me because I'm still thinking about it, like just to this day and I wouldn't mind revisiting it. <laughs> I actually know it existed until about, about a year and a half ago. My brother introduced me to that. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. What are your thoughts on that one? That's what I find to be one of his more interesting films. That's I feel to be very unappreciated at the time. It's hard to describe too. Like you yeah, know. you have to actually sit down and study it and just say, uh, you're in for a surprise. Yeah, it is very odd. It's very odd. Very good, but very odd. It's it's a difficult one to kind of to pigeonhole, you know. It's like you know, it was gonna become just a lost movie just from everything from just the title to well uh what kind of movies do you like you know <laughs> and night riders well uh, plural it has nothing to do with the stupid Hasselhoff show it has something more to do with actual people who dress up as knights and <laughs> right away i in fact doing research yesterday i didn't know he had a <laughs> tv pilot that was pro wrestling called iron city ask <laughs> I never heard. You gotta love his satirical <laughs> titles. 
Iron City ass kickers, you said? Yes, yes. I didn't even know of that existence. (laughs) Same here. Apparently, I think, on DVD, but I can't find a place that has it, so it's weird. Um, Definitely want to check it out and see what it's like. Um, But yeah, no, it, it is kind of interesting, too, just how... These movies always kind of have a zombie feel, even when they're not zombie movies. Um, and it, it is kind of interesting how Monkey Shines has still been heavily appreciated by his fans, even though he basically just wanted to almost go the Alan Smithy route and disown it. <laughs> I like uh, Monkey Shines. We reviewed that uh, a couple of months ago on my show, and I, I have a lot of love for that movie. Same here. It's, yeah, I mean, it's not, again, it's an odd flick. It's not, you know, typical, you know, Romero, but, that you know, I think most people think of him, they think of zombie movies, but man, he, when you think of, you know, he's got movies like Season of the Witch, you know, Amusement Park and Night Riders, he's just, he's got so much more to him than that. And I love the zombie movies, I've already admitted I'm a, you know, a zombie fanatic, but, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I- it's definitely got some pretty competent effects and premises and you never really feel cheated like you do with other, you know, great ape escape movies or (laughs) creature features. Some of those. Yeah. It's not like mighty Joe young. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if anything, this could be the R-rated version of it, but I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, and, it is kind of funny how other TV shows have vaguely just kind of referenced it too. So I, I do think it's always kind of been beloved. It's just only come on occasion, like on rare instances. Like I think it came on sci-fi channel in USA briefly, but never really showed much other than that. So I think AMC had it at one point. Oh, there you go. So I, it's not a terribly violent movie, so I don't know why it's not even shown all that much. Um, but I, I do agree that some critics who did dig it because they found it philosophically intriguing. So, I mean, <laughs> it seems like you just can't please everyone. I think I had to see Courtney Joyner on there. He plays one of the zombies who like breaks through the glass and he's been better, become better known for also just kind of working for full moon, which even he just kind of shrugs his shoulders saying, Hey, it was a job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, he, he just he kept on going. It's like, yeah, Romero didn't really know what he was making, but he just went with it, you know, during that drug field society. And I was just like, I kind of half agreed. I was like, I think he knew what he was going, but he also kind of figured he couldn't, he couldn't lose one way or the other. He didn't know, you know, he figured one way or the other, this is either it, or I'm going to just keep going until I run out of ideas and don't want to do this shit anymore, you know? <laughs> so it is kind of interesting. He, he kind of, I don't know if he batted a blind eye. I think he just figured, hey, you know, until I don't make my profit back, I'm not done for any time soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, everybody, if anything, needs to take a, a break as a filmmaker. I know I've I've had to take several breaks myself and just be like, take a step back and be like, you know, is this worth it? And if it is, you know, uh, you know, when is it worth it? When and, and there's, you know, life as we've uh, as we know, just sometimes life gets in the way. <laughs> I've been the same way. Like after COVID hit, I was like, I'm taking a back step, a huge step back. I will help a pal from afar, maybe give them 40 bucks if they need a festival entry help. But, you know, 
is this has not become very rewarding, especially when there's even a lot of professional shoots that were actually in town, like the Yellowstone prequel. And I, I heard just terror stories uh, about how none of them were following code procedures. And I'm like, well, that's kind of messed up. <laughs> so why do I want to go there and get sick? <laughs> right, right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, the, there have definitely been so much stuff garbage i've worked on that will never see the light of day either just because it wasn't there or you had a cool idea and some cool footage but an incompetent production and then i learned the hard way too that it's also hard to get certain stuff done if actors keep misbehaving and cinematographers aren't playing by your rules that you've set up so it's like yeah it's like he was very fortunate to be very he kind of always referenced the kind of blue collar mentality especially in dawn and day um, just showing how, so I think he had kind of that same kind of hard work pays off, you know, if you don't dick around and I don't think he was dicking around. He was using drugs to kind of get through all the stressful, you know, post Vietnam angst. And at the same time, he just, he knew what he wanted to make, but he also knew that anything could happen. And I think he always had a kind of a good game plan though. Is like, if someone's misbehaving, I will gladly recast you. I will have my niece play you. I will have my 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 friend of his uh, and his friends play these roles <laughs> i've done that <laughs> i've, I've done that makes myself sense. it's a great thing to do um <laughs> and nobody is irre- ir- nobody is irreplaceable really i mean let's yeah. face it. <laughs> oh and it, it's always hell on earth when there's a husband and wife team or a boyfriend and girlfriend team and they break up midway through the shoot and so next thing you know, oh, yeah, that movie's so not coming out. <laughs> and it gets even worse when you see one of the partners casting the other who's clearly not an actor in a role. And you're like, oh, boy, I'm afraid to say anything. <laughs> they might fire me, but they are not <laughs> an actor. Um, speaking of acting cameos, uh, he's definitely done a bunch. It is really funny how he... Uh, everyone uh, i had no idea all these years it's always a blink and a miss but so many people have realized he guest appears in silence of the lambs as one of the jail cell guys <laughs> yeah really? i didn't even know that yeah i always <laughs> remember charles napier but that was just because you know rambo and austin powers made a big impression growing up and i he was in every jonathan dem film <laughs> Uh, he but, did um he did a voice on a, a oh there was a cartoon I'm trying to remember the name of it it escapes my mind that he did the voice of it was like uh, like not, night of the living bread or night of the living oh gosh I'm I think so. it was like a brain terror part. short comedy yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but he did a voice for it and it was pretty cool and he's been very loyal to his. Uh, ever since going to the Aki Pittsburgh College in Pennsylvania, he's mainly just filmed a lot of his work there, so that's been very interesting too. Yeah, his yeah. films always got kind of a you know hometown boy has done well kind of feel to it. He's always kind of whenever possible gone. He, he always went back to you know you know the Pittsburgh area. Oh, totally. Uh, whenever I see an indie terror director kind of making a movie, that chances are they're either kind of got a Joe Dante, Sam Raimi kind of feel where they want to make their kind of apeshit crazy version of Evil Dead, basically. Just run and gun and 
whatever happens, that's the movie. And if it's crazy and convoluted, so be it. And then there's others who's like, they definitely kind of want to take his same formula of have, have a gimmick, have one location and have like maybe five actors, you know, and the rest can be played by crew members or, you know, stunt people or, uh, actors, but with their faces covered up, you know, (laughs) (laughs) right. And uh, I've even said that multiple times and some people get it and don't get it. And they're like, oh, but I'm going to be able to tell. I'm like, if you cover up my face, no one is unless I give it away in the credits. No one's going to know that I played also, you know, two different guards, one masked and one not. You know, it's like you can only afford so many people for the day. Um, Yeah. People's day rates, if you got to pay them out, man, then it'll it'll kill you on a low budget, man. That's for sure. It will. And it. Even if it's at just 400 or 50 bucks, which is an extra fee, you know, not. And if people have egos, then it's going to eventually fall apart. There's going to be someone who decides, ah, you know, I don't want to show up. <laughs> I want to feel important. So I'm going to wait for you to beg me to come back. And that's where you say, fuck you. But um, yeah, I, I saw that his a movie he was inspired by was The Tells of Hoffman, which is a, co- a British described comic opera. <laughs> That sounds odd. I've never yeah, heard of that. I've never heard that either. But just looking at the gimmick is like, I think I kind of see where he's going for. It's like, it's, uh, it's kind of just uh, hard to describe kind of work. And I don't know. I didn't know if he liked opera or anything. I definitely got, got the sense that he was a music kind of guy, given how memorable his scores often are. Uh but I was fortunate enough to even get a DVD of that had a double feature of There's Always Vanilla and Season of the Witch because it also came with his uh, the director's episode, a documentary series that used to be on Stars, and you really got a sense of how he just kind of had a daring approach to everything. And uh, There's Always Vanilla does kind of it, it intrigue one because it just kind of gives you a sense of uh, just. Uh, who are your neighbors and something uh, crazy is probably happening in your neighborhood. And this one, I, in fact, you could easily compare it to Get Out, I think, if you really wanted to, just showing a lot of the elites who are kind of eating each other alive, figuratively, you know? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, I can see that too. <laughs> There's disturbance around the corner, and I really just dug the score, man, and just the forest scenes this is like you feel like you're just coming into a society that you're not welcome into even though it's a typical richer neighborhood (laughs) but yeah it's also known as jack's wife and i guess that would be a more appropriate (laughs) title i've never i've never heard that it called that before (laughs) and then this other wikipedia source client at the austin chronicle claims it's also known as the affair so which is it (laughs) (laughs) They released it as all three, you know. That was the that was the thing back in the the seventies during that kind of grindhouse era. Is like just re-release mm-hmm. the same movie with a different title and get people to, you know, pay for the movie tickets. You'd pay for it five different times under you know a different name, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was produced by Russell Striner, who you know is Johnny in the beginning of Night and Living Dead, and uh, you know I I know about the history of him and John A. Russo and how that kind of, I guess you could describe him his and Romero's ownership of living dead uh, is just very tricky. Like I think 
so correct me if I'm wrong. So like, uh, of the uh, is like owned by Romero and Living Dead is like owned by Russo, or is it the other way around? <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. It's like uh, it's a I very got... tricky process, so that's why Russo kind of uh, gave. Dan O'Bannon, Alien Creator, the rights to, you know, make the Return of the Living Dead, which are kind of a meta sequels, you know? <laughs> and it is interesting how, yeah, Romero just kept going on, and he's just like, you can decide if or if it isn't in the same universe, but I'm going to keep doing whatever the hell I want, you know? <laughs> well, they do that whole meta thing in there where they make reference to the movie, but then, like, the, they just say the director. They never actually say George Romero, and they're, they're very careful about that. <laughs> Oh, totally. Oh, definitely. But yeah, John Russo, he was kind of from the same kind of background. He he and Steiner formed the movie-making program of Dubois uh, Business College in Pennsylvania. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I I I'm, I'm definitely with you. I think it is interesting how Russo ne- kind of had more of the profits and the rights, and yet never had anywhere near as successful a career as Romero. <laughs> Romero was working pretty mainstream and pretty independent and getting attention. And yet, this is like Russo just kept kind of struggling with other movies like the Majorettes and uh, what was that other one he did? He did oh, another or uh, the Mid- Midnight was one. Uh, he did. Uh, I think there was one the, that was a vampire hatch. flick. Yeah. <laughs> called a Heartstopper. Oh God! <laughs> Stopper! Wow! Heart stopper. There you go. And yeah. and none of them really ever. Basically, I've wanted to see them for a while, but it's just like almost all of them have just like a really bad, <laughs> uh, uh, just rating to where it's like, okay, you better be ready to shell out something. You know? Yeah. If they, I mean, if they, you know, I, I've I've seen them all because I'm a, <clears throat> I'm kind of a completist, but. If you can get them on the cheap, I would highly recommend it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And be ready to laugh or wait for a Shout Factory release that has special features out of the actress saying, we don't know what we were doing. Um, it is funny how he regretted uh, like giving these other filmmakers who he described as amateurs the rights to Children of the Living Dead. And it seems like pretty much both Russo and Romero's fan camps uh, just equally were just like, does not exist, does not exist. <laughs> As the yeah, Hellraiser I, revelations of it, it is related as in name only, and we don't acknowledge it. <laughs> it's like if we don't talk about it, maybe people won't realize existing. it exists. Yeah, exactly. Even I think even Lionsgate made it go out of print. They were too happy with the cells, and so it just died a silent death at video stores in 2001. And I saw it on YouTube for free, and I was like, oh, man, even seeing it for free, that, that was rough. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it has a few, I'm, I'm using air quotes in the air here, moments. That it's are, relatively no. watchable. It's just one of those, I think it's just easy to get frustrated with because you just don't know if there was a good idea and just someone killed it in the editing department. Or, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there, there was a good idea there somewhere. It just, it was, there was something that was just very amateurish uh, in the execution, you know, but it's a good beer and popcorn kind of movie if you if you you know if you can see it on the streaming service that you already uh you know are, are paying for watch it if you have to pay for it eh, maybe just avoid it see, see something better that just feels like yeah. a, you know a type of movie you know things have been done to death 
no pun intended, you know, and, uh, you know, it's just like you watch a movie like Children of the Living Dead, and you're just like, yeah, I've seen this movie already, and I've seen it done better. Yep. <laughs> and that's why I've never watched it, so. I'm <laughs> you ain't missing much, sir, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I'll send you got I'll send John a link and he can guffaw it later and probably make his own commentary. <laughs> well, you know I will, trust me. <laughs> um so yeah, in the nineties, I think actually unintentionally the first movie I actually saw by him that I did not realize until I kind of just did the math and looked at my IMDB rating history was probably two evil eyes, uh anthology film he did with Dario Argento. Yeah, highly underrated. Highly underrated. I need to rewatch it again. I just kind of found it watchable. I didn't really leave an impression, but I do recall just Harvey Keitel's eye, just really being really playful with his eyes, literally. <laughs> it's like, oh man, he's really having a fun time playing this role. And I think that's just it. Everyone just reacted to him because they, especially actors who have been on every side of the aisle, just low budget B movies to more mainstream, low budget to high scale, you know, big movie productions. I think those are just the uh, uh, that's the kind of attention he gets just the right that you could say about every comedian the right people get your joke <laughs> the right people get what he's going for he's somehow very good at describing him his work as opposed to you know I don't know how to describe it <laughs> yeah you know some people are used to just giving what they call the elevator speech version of their movie but you know if you ever mm -hmm. watch any kind of interview with with George he could go into great detail and he had such a fantastic memory I, I saw him I met him once oh nice at, um, uh, at, I, I, was, I almost met him twice I, I went to the Night of Living Dead zombie jamboree in 1993 the first one of the first two conventions I ever went to 93 baby nice yeah <laughs> and uh, and the line for George was so long that they cut it off you know, and I didn't get to meet him at that ah. particular show, but I got to meet a bunch of other people. It was really nice, but I met him at Horror Hound. Uh, mm, about, that's a common one. Yep. Yeah, about uh, about 12 years ago, 11 years ago. And um, I actually had completed my first feature, which was a zombie film, and it was also in black and white. And uh, I got to give him a copy of it. I don't know what he thought of it. I never got any feedback. I never expected <laughs> to, but it was just kind of one of those, like, I just slid it across the table and his handler was like, what is this? And I'm like, it's just a gift. I'm like, that's all. Like, And they're like, oh, okay. And they kind of stuck it in his duffel bag, you know, but it was still neat. And, and to actually meet George, I don't get starstruck very often. Not very often at all, but I was just kind of stuttering and muttering. <laughs> I, I had a stutter, you know, when I was younger and it quickly came back. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, da, da, da. And, but I just remember my interaction with them was, so, at least I, I, I think it was kind of special to him, at least I hope it was, because I, I of all the things on his table that I picked was a, a Dark Half poster for him to sign. And he had been there all weekend. It was the third day of the convention. He said I was the first person to pick anything Dark Half related, and he asked why. And I'm like, well, that's my favorite movie of yours. And he's like, really? He's like, you you made a zombie, black and white zombie film, you know? <laughs> he's like, you sure it's not Night of Living Dead? I'm like, nope, nope, it's it's a dark half. I love that film. Oh, that's special. I'm sure <laughs> he really did appreciate it because 
I'm sure, you know, this goes for anybody, any artist, any filmmaker, especially a music star is like, uh, or even a comedian is like, I like to know that all those other jokes I told actually meant something as opposed to I'm telling the same more popular joke. And I do think I keep going back to comedians. I just, cause there's a lot of similarity. I, I do think he is kind of one of those, he is the kind of comedian he can go, he can be more verbal. He can be more, you know, blunt, or he can be more laid back and subtle, <laughs> you know, witty. And it just depends on the platform that he's allowed. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Like, he's pretty freaky yeah, totally. even when he's not allowed to be gory. That's just how special he is. So I, but I would say, I think his work got way more appreciated than Wes Craven because it seemed like Wes Craven was just, he got through everything in studio battles because I think just because of his psychology background, he was just a very patient, just like he was if he, when he was a counselor. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like Romero just kind of said, well, if they don't like it, fuck it to hell. We'll do better next time. You know, <laughs> it kind of took almost I'm not comparing George Romero to Ed Wood, but, it, you know, in, in the fact that it's like, you know, that that infamous line from the movie, Ed Wood, he's like, oh, worst person picture you ever saw. Well, my next one will be much better. I, that, that's very true, because yeah. I think every filmmaker does go by that. Like Brian De Palma, we talked about him on here and we were just like, yeah, he pretty much he kind of just shrugged his shoulders. He's like, I don't know what to do any different. I'm not getting any kind of good feedback. I played the studio game. I played the audience game and my movie still flops. So what happened? You know, <laughs> was it just not good or was it just not the right audience and it's going to be embraced on cable? What, what, which is it? And I, I think that is very true. Yeah. I mean, Romero was definitely, again, what, what like, like Scott is saying, we're not saying he's incompetent like Ed Wood, but like Ed Wood, he clearly loved movies and he knew how to do it again raw and on the cheap without uh letting his e but unlike edward he definitely did not i never felt like he had an ego like he and he he always can't any special feature or convention video i've seen him in he's always just kind of came off to me as just someone who's just he could be everybody's granddad who's not grumpy but he's also not willing to you know uh, tell it like it is, kind of. <laughs> he's a less yeah, he's radical not, yeah. one, in my opinion. He's a more. <laughs> he's not grumpy on a, like a Harrison Ford kind of level. But no, he is just, no, but no. <laughs> <laughs> you, but you know, he's he just tells it like it is. He's just very straightforward. You know, George was always very straightforward. There was no bullshit there. I'm sorry, I don't know if I can curse, but. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> talking about a guy who is very blunt in all his movies. You know, but, <laughs> no, I know what you mean, yeah. Uh, and I'm sure he did appreciate that. It's like, yeah, someone appreciates my other work. <laughs> yeah, because I talked to him about that, and I actually talked to him very briefly about Bruiser, which I think shocked I'm him. I'm so glad you said that. I watched it for this episode, and I, I'm so glad I did. And that's like American Psycho, but even more kind of surreal. And it's got Tom fucking Atkins in it. Like, how is that movie not more popular than how, it is? Yeah, I, Peter Stormore is the evil boss. Leslie Hope, who's a big TV star. You know, right. it's like, they were in this. And, I mean, this was around when their careers were just taken off. Stormore was appearing in every other Coen Brothers, Jerry Bruckheimer production. And <laughs> Leslie had been in some other international hits. And then, like you say, uh, Atkins was already immortalized by <laughs> Halloween Free and Lethal Weapon and... <laughs> all sorts of other movies and is like yeah i it had a big distributor and it's 
maybe it just said too many things about the corporate elites and they didn't want to hear it. I don't know. I, you know, sometimes it's really, it's just really weird that certain films don't find an audience, you know, either they don't find an audience period or they find their audience 20 years later or 30 years later and become, you know, Again, I'm using air quotes here, you know, cult films. Someone you saw know. it, but no one was blogging enough about it. And that's so true. It's like, And we tear our hair out every time we're hearing about someone knew they can make money off of this. But because after despite spending 40 million or whatever, they still don't want it to come out. They want it to just die in the spring at the box office. I'm like, it's just so stupid. Why, why? <laughs> and now I'm even seeing... You know, for a while, studios have embraced the whole video on demand the same day as it's in theaters. Mm-hmm. Now I've been seeing some of these movies. They've only been in theaters for like one week. And I'm talking about all the endless movies that Travolta, Nick Cage and Bruce Willis make. And I'm like, well, now that business plan, I definitely don't understand. I don't either. <laughs> I would have thought it'd be in there for at least a month. And it plays, you know, every weekday, but not on the weekends. I can understand that. But now it was only in a theater for like literally two weeks. Uh, it might as well have been a flop. So I, I don't understand that logic. Yeah, I think I think a, a lot of times now these days with the the streaming model as it is, you know, the people don't you know if they don't have confidence, you know, the producers, the people who who own the films, that they don't have confidence in the films that they're going to be quote unquote you know, uh, box office smashes if they're not going to you know make millions upon millions. They just don't have faith in them, and they'll you know they'll release it in a theater to say that it was a you know quote unquote theatrical release, and then just like dump it to streaming or on you know physical media such as it is, and just <laughs> sweep it under the rug. And they're like, well, that one didn't come out the way we thought. Uh, totally is like I can understand that you know, like we've talked with other cult icons like some of Clyde Barker's work, and even underappreciated B-movie stars like uh, Dolph Lundgren, how a lot of their movies, we would only see it when they premiered on the movie channels. We, mm-hmm. they, they had been yeah. in like Bulgaria or Japan, but <laughs> never got anything resembling a statewide release until maybe a few years later at a convention. And see, that's the other thing kind of too that I kind of like about Frightmare is like you can submit your movie at a certain time and have it play <laughs> and do a Q&A right. panel. I think that's fine. I would definitely prefer doing that or the Angelica route. Although I've seen some people abuse the Angelica route where there's like, yeah, there's no way anyone's going to pay for it. So we're going to just do a, it's free. It's free. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, at least like, try to break even, man. I mean, come on. Yeah. <clears throat> put up a few billboards. I guarantee you someone will, th- if it's cool, someone will see it. <laughs> I don't know. People, it, it does make you wonder what business models people are watching because it's like, if anyone works together, I mean, you can really do a one hell of a job and get some kind of reward. And I think that's for a while why people were even avoiding certain streaming sites. People were get either talking to higher ups and getting crap put on Netflix or anyone could put something on Amazon Prime. They didn't have any <laughs> uh, quality control as long as it had subtitles and was at 1080. It's like, well... <laughs> You don't want to restrict people, and at the same time, you kind of want some kind of uh, quality kind of bringing into question. And I don't mean necessarily by the movie, but just like, you know, if the sound's bad, then let's, you know, rethink this, you know? <laughs> uh, 
and I know for the longest time, everyone basically wanted him to direct Resident Evil movies. I'm, I'm glad he didn't go that way because I saw some people saying it would have been so different and everything. And I personally, I'll let you guys weigh in. I don't think it would have been any different. I think he would have probably, uh, I mean, I found a quote that where he does say, I don't want to make another film with zombies in it. And I couldn't make a movie based on something that isn't mine, but I'll give it, go even further. I think he just would have had an even worser time, you know, just battling with studios on creative control and getting, just having anything new to say. Cause I mean, if anything, Resident Evil is already kind of a knockoff of his work, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he, he certainly couldn't have done any worse than they did with a couple of those movies. I, I like a couple of the Resident Evil movies, you know, there's a few in that series. I like a few that I don't. But, I can watch some of them, but at the same time, like, I'm just kind of like, just always shrug my shoulder. I'm just like, why did anybody just like explode all over this? You know, it's like, <laughs> this is, right. I've seen so much worse. And at the same time, I've seen so much better. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just put this to the side. I'm like, uh, but I, I mean, he got to do, you know, fortunately, Universal allowed him to do Land of the Dead just because the Dawn of the Dead remake was a big, has, a big hit. And, uh, but I'm also glad that he got to do some other just side movies in between and even appear in that Call of Duty uh, zombie mod, you know, as himself. <laughs> um, it's bad to be different for him, I'm sure. It's like, you uh, want me I'm to sure appear as what? One day, yeah. <laughs> He's probably confused. Mm -hmm. Now, if it was John Carpenter, he'd be like, yeah, I already played that game. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Oh man! Now, now I got, I got, a, I got a question for you guys, <gasps> like uh, for my, myself, if you don't mind me. <laughs> do you, do, you, do you have a, a, a favorite Romero film, like one that stands out more than anything? Ah, uh, you know, he's pretty. He, much like some of the other icons I kind of mentioned, he's kind of just, he's an overall pretty just solid guy for me, and. Uh, I, I really just can't go wrong with any of his work. He's just one of the horror icons. I like how he adds a bit of action and drama into his movies also, but I also... I, I really can't go wrong with any part of his resume. He's never wronged me to the point where I'm just like, oh, he went, you know, he he, went, he drove his career off a cliff at such a point, you know, like we do with all the other... Uh, just other filmmakers that divide us half the time. Um, but... If I had to pick one, I would probably go with Martin. I just really like before we start recording. I mean, uh, for those who have been, uh, you know, Scott did remind me is like, yeah, there was news of a three and a half hour cut that just is set to be released soon. That and for anyone who knows a little more about that, it's, he basically kind of Romero kind of wanted to restore it. And he got into kind of a very nasty copyright issue with like the distributors and it's extremely hard to find on dvd and i don't know uh, did, did that same article say it was due for a blu-ray oh it, it didn't it, it didn't really say what the plans were other than they were going to do <clears throat> they were going to do a, a restoration on it and you know details <laughs> are very sketchy at the time so I, I i would hope they would release it on you know not on a blu-ray or dvd something Something so I, can, like, so I can at least replace my laser disc that I got. <laughs> oh, really? 
I, I was fortunate enough to see it on YouTube, and I, I think that is the best route. Hopefully, everyone can keep sharing that video and realizing, oh, my God, you know, just sign a petition, you know. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, this was where he and Savini first worked, and he has claimed it as his favorite of all his films. And that article was from 2018. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, no, I'll, I'll let... The, the first time guests go first. Uh, Scott, which one resonates the most with you? Um, it, it's a, it's a tie. It, it really is. I hate to cop out and say it's a tie. <laughs> it's fine. He's really, <laughs> it's pretty edgy. So, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, the dark half, which I've already mentioned is, is a huge film for me. I'm a big, big Stephen King fan and I'm a huge Romero fan at the same time. And to me, it was the perfect marriage of Stephen King and, and Romero, you know, I mean, like Creepshow is, is really good and it's the greatest anthology horror film of all time, at least in my humble opinion. But if I had to pick, it would be The Dark Half or Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead is the zombie movie by which all other zombie movies should be judged. <laughs> and again, that's sure. just in my opinion. Uh, I, I love everything about Day of the Dead. I love the curmudgeon characters. I feel like it's the one of the most realistic portrayals of humanity versus the zombies and how they've handled it, how they've handled like a zombie apocalypse and how they're handling themselves at the same time. And I personally think zombies have never looked better than they did in Day of the Dead. Hands down, the best zombie makeup ever. And nice. yeah, I, I, you, you can get, you can get me to watch Day of the Dead or The Dark Half anytime. You want? I could have just watched it yesterday, and you want to watch it again? Damn right I do. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, those two are the top notch, top notch. Very cool. And uh, John, which one have you found that you watched the most from them? Well, for me, it's probably been Creepshow. That's the one that right. I've always resonated with, especially with him at the time. And it's actually the one that introduced me to anthology films. And I've always enjoyed it not only because of the cast, but also because of how unique it was, the way it was directed, particularly with every segment being different from one another, which I always appreciated. And I do agree with Scott here that it is the greatest anthology film of all time. <laughs> it's one that I've always gone back to every Halloween. And I'm due I for another rewatch of it. Uh, as long as it's not Creep Show Two, I'll I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I don't I don't mind Creep Show Two that much. I I, I can watch it, but man, the, the, you want to talk about a movie I have a bone to pick with is Creep Show Three. To me, that's a movie that should have never existed. Ooh. Yeah, it seemed like that followed the way of the third uh, Tells from the Crypt, where everyone was like, "What? What is this even about?" <laughs> wait, 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 wait. There was a third Tales from the Crypt movie. Yeah, it was like, came yeah. out in two thousand one under a different name, and it's just so lazy. The jokes are oh, just boy. like really bad Jim Henson wannabe humor, random nudity that has no excitement, just. And barely even what you could call a terror movie. It's just a very bad. Yeah, it sounds like you're pretty too. much, pretty much describing Creep Show Three. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Yeah, this is like the distributor was unhappy with it. The makers didn't even talk about it, so it's like, yeah, it just 
they were all going to die silent deaths. Um, but the worst part about that one is and the critics are talking a Jamaican accent, which was embarrassing. Yeah, it's uh, like, don't pretend to be what you are. <laughs> I know. Wait, who Not did the... that? Who talked with a Jamaican accent? The, the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> oh, my lord. Yeah. Uh, Kill me now. Yeah, I always meant to read, well, I still can read since just about every comic book you can read online. Uh, Romero's uh, Road of the Dead and uh, what was the other one he did uh, that was like for Marvel? Uh, it was uh, Empire of the Dead. Yeah. <laughs> he did. His final comic books were made in, were basically on filmed movies that he made into that fashion <laughs> now was there, do you know uh, either of you know if there was any truth that uh, the road of the dead was still being turned into a movie by his son i remember reading an article about that a year or two ago but then never heard anything more about it uh not sure yeah, but i mean, heard about it was that long ago and that's it uh, all i know yeah. is i was in 2017 and this comic came out in 2018 so ah. hmm. uh, i i think it, it was all talk but you know, we could be wrong. Maybe whatever we we might very well see his son kind of be like David Cronenberg's son, where he's basically doing a lot of what movies that his old man wanted to make but didn't, and he's you know giving it his it his best shot. <laughs> yeah. I do like kind of just seeing the article on how, uh, it, you know, when he was when he passed away from lung cancer he was he died listening to the score of his, one of his favorite films the quiet man from 1952 <laughs> sound <Huh>. very interesting <laughs> i didn't know that but yeah his movies that he is very now you'll like this so he's very inspired by the brothers karamazov uh yeah i've seen that one casablanca dr strangelove high noon the uh, King Solomon's Mines 1950 version, uh, North by Northwest, <laughs> uh, and he actually worked on as uh, uh, a gopher, <laughs> where he would bring just coffee to cars. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, yeah. So yeah, The Quiet Man, Repulsion. Touch of Evil and the Tales of Hoffman. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> nice. That's a that's a the weird assortment of films. <laughs> it really is, but it kind of makes sense at the same time. And yeah. Uh yeah, no, great. <laughs> um I don't know if his Oh, okay. So he did form a nonprofit organization in 2018 with his wife Suzanne. So, <laughs> um, it basically preserves the history of independent filmmaking and horror genre, and uh, just encourages new generations of creators. So, okay, I might want to check that out someday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have to look into that. <clears throat> it is kind of wild how he's become so known, but it also kind of just depends on what you know him for. I I mean, I mean, like there's a bunch of video games that 
feature his likeness in some way with his permission. Um, uh, I let my siblings know uh, the meaning of the robot chicken in theme. <laughs> yeah, it's totally. Oh, the gonk. Yeah. <laughs> the <Yeah>. gonk <laughs> theme from Dawn of the Dead. So, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I really am kind of glad he didn't become the remake guy. Because they almost wanted him to remake almost every other Japanese horror film, like, uh, as well as direct a short sh- short story by the guy who did The Ring and Dark Water. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't think that would have turned out well. Someone would have cut it up, or it just wouldn't have been well marketed. <laughs> yeah, and I think George was the type of guy that wanted to do his own thing. He wanted to do his own original works, which is probably why you know, Resident Evil thing didn't work out and probably for good reason. You know, as much as I would have loved to have seen his version of, you know, Resident Evil, it would have, I'd rather just see another original, you know, Romero zombie movie, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, hell. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you think it would have been like had he actually worked with uh, Dario Argento's brother, Claudio? who wanted him to remake Deep Red at one point. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what that would have been like, but I would I'd, I'd have been, been behind that 110 percent. I'd have been I'd have been behind that 110 percent because I love Argento, too. I'd have, uh, I'd, have, I'd have been I'd have been down for that on every level. <laughs> I think it would have probably been a little more. A little less. uh mysterious if george had done it i think it would have been a little bit more again you know as we said george was a straightforward kind of guy he definitely would have had some more despicable villains than that and probably more uh memorable murder of the main guy especially the elevator scenes (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um john and i were talking even the other day about how tells from the dark side uh, just seems to vary by episode uh did you ever get into that or did you see it years later when it was like a reruns to see what you cut out there for a moment. Uh, t- Tells from the Dark Side was a show he created. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, for whatever I, reason, I, don't remember his involvement with it, but yeah, he did a bunch of episodes apparently. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw them when they were first run. I, I kind of saw them at the same, around the same era when they did, uh, oh, was that other show that was out at the same time? Monsters. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so then, <laughs> yeah I, I, I watched everything that I, I'm a big fan of anthology horror and. You know, I, I love a lot of fun it. ones that I'm surprised don't get mentioned enough because I'm like, really? And it seems like everyone's too busy complaining about the more infamous ones or I don't know, ones that have a lot of overacting. And it's like there's way better ones that are kind of underground hits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Tales from the Dark Side was like if if um, Twilight Zone was a little more horror and a little less sci fi. Yeah. You know, yeah. it, it was it was just it was of that era. I mean, it came out, what, 83 or 84. So I couldn't have been like eight, eight or nine. Years. Yeah, I was like eight or nine years old when I was watching that. And I remember being just just transfixed by it. I I, I loved a lot of the, the the episodes. I think my favorite one was Hush. I remember that one pretty, pretty uh, specifically. But uh yeah, I, I love Tales from the Dark Side. I, I really don't. I don't mind Tales from the Dark Side the movie either. I know he didn't really have much to, you know, to do with that. Yeah, yeah. I've always struggled to get into that one, but I, I, I do think there's some good actors in it. Uh, but 
I mean to do another marathon soon on dark side and just kind of see which ones stand out more, especially I think there was, I know there was one which they basically took all the episodes Stephen King had done. So it'd be interesting to see if there's a fan edit of all the Romero (laughs) (laughs) directed or uh, mainly written episodes. Um, uh, He, he really kind of just mainly just, you got to watch all of his work at least a few different times and you got to make time for it. You know, you really got to, uh, of all the remakes that I think has kind of become a cool movie in its own right, it seems like everyone wants to argue over his zombie remakes, uh, you know, Night and Dawn, respectively. Um, and everyone else can pretty much agree that the other remakes or knockoffs are pretty bad. Um, oh, but yeah, Day of the Dead on sci-fi, I'm looking at you. That's... I didn't even know it came on there, but I, I did see oh. it, and it was already kind of an F you could just seeing Ving Rhames show up, and I'm like, he's not even playing the same character. Oh, I'm talking about the, the, the new Day of the Dead series that just came out like a couple oh, of weeks ago. Oh, it did. Oh, okay, yeah, it yes. did. I have been hearing about that, and I, I have not seen a single ad for it, so I, I guess they're not proud of it. I watched two episodes. I watched one episode and was really, really angry, but I always believe in giving in a series, giving a second episode right, three a chance. Episodes and you're yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, I was I was two episodes after the end of the second episode. I was like, wash my hands of you. I'm done. You mm-hmm. messed it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got like random characters named Rhodes and Logan that have no relation to anything. It's no relation to anything. Being too cute for their own good. This is like so. I think that's the other problem too. He keeps giving. Whoever has the rights just keeps giving it to people who either don't have much film experience or just don't. It's like they must just say yes to anything. It's like, okay, we're going to hire the yes man, even though they have no experience with the genre or with Romero. (laughs) I mean, like, I don't mind Dawn of the Dead, the remake. I kind of like it a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of past zombies, but I like that one. But they've done a straight up sequel and like three. Wait, past zombies? Yeah, fast, fast zombies. I don't like fast moving zombies. That oh, much. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. you know what you mean. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, like, I like some you... of them, you know, but it's just, it's just, to me, this is not a typical zombie. Yeah, you know, I'm just particular. Days later, and um, what's it called? Uh, World War Z. It just seemed like, uh, and then now you're seeing a bunch of it on uh, The Walking Dead, and I'm just like, I think the definitely the genre is in an identity crisis um i definitely would recommend to you uh the dead films like from 2010 2013 which were south african produced i totally think you'll definitely feel like those are proper romero influenced movies i've seen the first one but i never saw the second one i didn't even know there was a second one it's well we might have to have you on it's interesting i don't think it's as I feel like at the same time it's trying to make both audiences happy, but it's it's decent. I, and I loved how Sci-Fi Channel was airing it. They're like, we haven't been able to edit the violence, so your discretion is advised. <laughs> um, like, listen, we didn't have time to edit these these suckers. Yeah, it's we're gonna edit fun. maybe one or two headshots, but that's it. We're just gonna bleep out the language. Um, and uh, what's it called? Uh, State of Emergency I saw on Chiller one night and I was just blown away by it because it was totally a fallback to the original Night of Living Dead where it's like you have a guy who's trapped and he's listening to the radio and he, he each is kind of like a video game where he has a side quest in order to get to the final quest which will end the movie you know find the gun 
and then find the ammo to the gun and then find the zombie to kill the zombie and then <laughs> more than one zombie and then find out if he can even get out you know if there's any military or cops that are on his side that can help him but uh yeah there was that i, I even i definitely encouraged the movie warning sign that's uh, some people have even been re revisiting that one after the scream factory release by blue on blu-ray blu because it was kind of it might have influenced resident evil but i definitely would it came out the somehow it did not find an audience despite coming out the same year as yeah, i remember that Turn one. of the living dead oh okay I, I, I remember i remember the without warning i, I like that movie i thought that was pretty decent oh, and it's pretty and it's pretty much you know a, a little bit of resident evil before there was resident evil so uh, i yeah. totally agree with you yeah warning sign yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, I still got to uh, see that one. Uh, but it comes on the down. HBO stations quite a lot, so it must get some decent ratings, I guess, if it's keys coming on there. Um, yeah, very cool. Uh, uh, how do you guys kind of feel about his later ones, you know, Land and uh, Diary and Survival? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't really huge on Land, to be fair. Yeah. Um, Diary, it just seems like they just put his name on it. It's just like it's a found footage movie, and he had a say in the premise, but we're just gonna have everyone else film it for him. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, out of the the three, out of uh, the uh, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, out of survival, you know, and, and diary and land, I I actually like diary the best. Does I, I like Land of the Dead, but I remember that movie released the weekend of my birthday when it came out, and I felt like it was a gift because I'm like, here we are, twenty some odd years later, you know, <laughs> and new zombie movie by George is coming out. This is made just for me, you know. And I remember being a little bit underwhelmed. I I, I can't put it my does finger go on pretty long for what it is, but I I, I I'm with you. I feel like it's kind of like. Uh, uh, Day of the Dead, where it, you know, the longest argument before everyone was kind of like, yeah, Dawn and Day are his best works, is like, was, oh, Day's not any better than Dawn. But uh, I think, I don't know, I feel like all of these are just so different. They're kind of apples and oranges. And yet at the same time, it does go back to, you know, what do you actually like? Because, like you say, I mean, Land was just kind of his first big movie in quite a while. And so it was just highly hyped up in 05. And with a big giant cast, I really dug Leguizamo's and Hopper's characters. Yeah, yeah, me too. Just because Hopper's uh, kind of like yeah. rogues. <laughs> yeah, and I love Aja Argento. Uh, she's great. But we're uh, the the guy that I don't like is the guy that was played the the main character. I can't remember his oh, name. Simon Baker. Yeah. Yeah, he's he, a he's a lame duck, man. He's, he uh, plays well, a dickhead way too well, and at the same time, his character just has. It, it is pretty unbearable in some scenes where you're just, just like no charisma, <laughs> no charisma, no presence. And that's really what what ruined the, it, it for me. Like, I still like the movie. I don't love it, but I like it. But, yeah, I mean, he's yeah, he's an Aussie actor. And I was never really into the mentalist. But then you see all his other movies that he's appeared in. And you're just like, yeah, it's like, is it just the looks or is it just that he varies in certain roles? I don't know. <laughs> it's usually he varies that's what i would say yeah uh. 
Yeah, the only one I can actually say that I don't like is uh, that this really just don't like at all the survival of the dead. It's It's just the horse death is kind of a what the fuck kind of moment, just like in Phantasm Five, where you're like, if you took that out, this would be a way better movie. But why is that there? It has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) Yeah, and then you got zombies riding horses, which yeah, I'm just like, what the hell? (laughs) <laughs> like what 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 what, what, what producing exec which writer who 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 put that idea in there i don't i don't know i, I refuse to believe george put that idea out there I, I can't i can't buy it i can't buy it yeah and he was very quiet on the making of them you really had to do some deep 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 searching to find out what happened on some of these movies it says it was inspired by the big country so i don't know i don't yeah, I mean, I, I like Diary, and that, and that says something for me because I'm usually not much of a, a found footage fan. You got to really like impress me with found footage. But I thought it was an interesting, you know, premise. I love the idea of movies within a movie. So the fact that they were filmmakers, oh, fair enough. Jeez, you know, yeah. The yeah, hospital so. seems pretty inspired, I guess. And I don't have a problem with the actors, some of who play some of those same roles in survival. But I guess. Who knows? I could rewatch it again. I would give it a chance versus any other found footage, but I don't know. I uh, I, I really did. I, did you like the movie uh, Record? Yes, yes, yes. I actually did. I felt like those were very Romero-influenced and just the same kind of predicament. Everyone's in a building. And just, no, I, I like I like yeah. record, but I did not like uh, what was the the remake. Uh, quarantine, quarantine, I, yeah, that was so yeah, funny. I like that I've seen a lot of people <laughs> praise that one. I was like, I'm surprised you guys usually hate anything just because it's a remake, and you like that one out of all of them. <laughs> um, so what would you say about uh, the ri- uh, original uh, Night of Living Dead remake from 1990? Is it kind of like Evil Dead 2, where it's basically a director's cut, or is it just ho-hum just not on the same level oh you know i have mixed feelings about it i I feel like for for them you know remaking their own film and you know and and george being involved and tom savini directing and whatnot i feel like it should have been better than it was but it's a passable remake you know I again, it's like how I describe movies. I have movies, you know, there's good movies and then there's great movies. Night Living Dead, the OG, 1968, great movie. 1990 version, it's just good. I just feel like it, 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 you know, for especially with Savini, you know, being an effects guy like he was, it wasn't very effects heavy and the gore wasn't very prominent. Like I would have expected it to have been a gore fest and it just. It, it just it could have been worrisome. I, I think the other big issue is because little known fact, 21st Century is actually one of many Golan Globus companies. That's right. It's re- related to Canon films. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I think the other big issue is Savini. I guess he got so fed up during the making of it. You're just not. He's not interested in pursuing any making of, although I was kind of pretty pleased by the Blu-ray, although you had to find one of those region free uh, versions because apparently there was like a previous release, which got too darkened and everyone complained about it. Like, I can't see shit. (laughs) (laughs) I heard um, about that. That's why I I avoided it. (laughs) Yeah, this one fortunately came with a lot of special features and some archives, some slightly new, I think. And 
but I think that's just it. Savini, even if you gave him a bunch of money and the extra chance, he would probably have to be inspired by his other pals, like maybe John Carpenter or Robert Rodriguez before he finally just said, fine, fuck it. I'll go for the negatives and see if we can recut the movie, you know, (laughs) with the footage that was cut. But I, I, I highly doubt you'll ever see all that other stuff. Because like you say, it is kind of footage that it it begs more than just the imagination. You really do want to see it because some content does affect the flow of a movie in some cases, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't mind it. I, I really don't. I, I just, it's because it just was commonly on Sci-Fi Channel all the time, along with Army of Darkness and Return of the Living Dead Freeze. So I have a soft spot for all oh, yeah. three of those movies. <laughs> those played on well, sci-fi same, yeah. in USA like all the time. <laughs> right. And then they stopped like airing them after like 06. And I was like, no, stop air, air them. It, not it, all I will say, say this. Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead is better than the other, what, 15 or 20? Like Night of the Living Dead remakes, sequels, reimaginings they've done. Yeah. It's better, it's better than any of those by a long shot. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was a one in like 2014 like and i was just like simon west of all people that's right of con air and tomb raider produced it tony todd did a voiceover role and i don't think he was even playing the same character but it's just like no why he was bill mosley showed up and i remember looking at it one day at the airport i had a bunch of random movies downloaded off the internet that i was playing on my laptop because i had no wi-fi and i was just like ooh boy that you know I have a soft spot for any kind of just video game. I don't care if it's Nintendo 64 or PlayStation, but I was like, you got to be kidding me that that, you know, was animated in this recent time frame because it wasn't even just that the graphics were very pixelated. It was just that they had no life to it. Like the voices didn't match up to the mouth movements and other shit. It was nasty, nasty affair. It was just, it was the kind of movie where because so little effort went into it, you put, you more effort into the fast forward button. I'm like, I got to get through this. and I'm not going to waste my time on this anymore. It, it was really bad. I do kind of want to see that new one that came out from like Warner Brothers animation that had like a big all-star star voice cast. Oh, the night of the animated dead, wasn't it called or something? I think so. It had a bunch of voiceovers and some people said they saw the trailer and didn't like the animation. I was like, well, I don't know. I might give this a chance just because of the talent involved. Because I, I, I feel I, I could what's the rating on it now? It's I doubt it can be as bad as any of those other versions. Um, I've seen the trailer for it, but I, I, I have not actually like seen the movie itself yet. I've yeah, Day made it dead. OK, so it has a four out of ten rating, but I don't know how much of that is. They don't like the animation style versus. I don't know, because some movies can have very rough animation at first and then you slowly get into it and you don't mind it. So I don't know. Yeah. I can forgive some shoddy animation, but you know, it, it's, it's just another remake that we, I feel like we don't need. I mean, they literally have, have remade night living dead more times than I can count, or they've made, you know, spinoffs and hell they're, they're, they're even doing a, 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 a direct like night of the living dead Two. That I was yeah, reading about. I saw mm-hmm. some people were just doing that, and I don't know how much of that is is like legit because it's oh, like yeah, it's legit. Yeah, because this got um the the three actors that was the survivors from Day of the Dead. Day of the Dead. Yep. Which, which that that has me excited. That 
that aspect of it has me excited, but man, I, I just don't know. <laughs> Overall, I think the fan base is pretty cool. It's not as toxic as what I've been describing the last few episodes as Halloween and Star Wars type levels where you're like guys you need to get out of the house once in a while walk the dog clear your head instead of having there's no fandom more more toxic than star wars i think maybe yeah. seconded only yeah. by halloween <laughs> uh, yeah well i don't know halloween might slowly overtake it this is like i've never seen that many people post angry reviews about halloween kills to where you're like great i already wasn't all that excited for it but jesus it can't be the worst thing ever there's you know, so uh, much worse for, every, for everybody that wants to bitch about Halloween kills, I need to remind them that Halloween Resurrection still exists. <laughs> I think there's that. And then before we get into the Rob Zombie remake argument, we can even oh, just God. get into how Halloween Free was hated at the time and is now loved. And yet, I don't know. It, it just seems like it, like you say, it is toxic fandom. And because, you know, Star Wars, you had other people arguing about the prequels versus the new Disney films. And I'm just like, Either way, whatever you agree or disagree on, we let's just agree that we don't like some of these new movies, but we kind of like The Mandalorian. <laughs> there you of, go. We would have. Yeah, yeah, that should have been it from the get go. It should have just been just TV, and you should have just had Favreau saying, "Disney, get your hands off this. Leave me alone." <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> Pardon me. Okay. Um, I do like though. Just even looking at Romero, he had a bunch of other books though too <laughs> like toe tags and he did movie tie-ins to both martin and dawn of the dead so i was like yeah i'm sure you could find that as a collector's item on ebay probably pay a hefty price for it too oh yeah it would not be 40 bucks it would probably be 250,000. i don't know i was looking for those uh those young adult novels that they based on friday the 13th and halloween because i used to own them when i was younger oh, nice. i was like and i'm like hmm. i'm like i don't know whatever happened to those i don't have them anymore how much are they like oh 250 to 400 dollars. <laughs> like like no no my just, pockets are not that deep just go to every goodwill within the three nearest cities and track them down you know right <laughs> You will find so much, so many things like Criterion Collection type Blu-rays that are like five bucks. Exactly. (laughs) And wonder who threw them away, who thought they were worth nothing. And it's like, well, you didn't enjoy it, but I'm just glad I got it at a good price, regardless of whether I like it or hate it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Okay, so wait. Now he's got this other book called The Living Dead. It's a horror novel he did. It was unfinished upon his death in 2017, and uh, okay, Dan- a guy named Daniel Cross was hired to complete it using his notes. Okay, so Cross, oh. has he done? He has done... Okay, so he's done some of those Guillermo del Toro books. I probably didn't read any of those. Um, but yeah, no, okay, so he was using his notes and incorporated an old short story by Romero. Okay. I'd have to read that, but I'd give that a shot. The Times called yeah. it everything you could have hoped for, and Circus Reviews said it is a spectacular horror epic. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it has been kind of cool just seeing some fanfare in some of it. I've always just been even just aware of them, just reading all kinds of film books, whether it was cheesy movie books or 
just film history books is like there was always just some kind of connection to some movie uh, of his is like there would be a movie that was very inspired by his like you know sold on precinct 13 is a big example you know there was always this some kind of alien or diehard kind of knockoff that also kind of uh was influenced by him in some way i remember gareth edwards who you know did rogue one and the godzilla remake and monsters said that you know night of the living dead was one of his top 10 you know just movies that made him become a filmmaker <laughs> uh so i mean i think like you say it's just everyone has slowly just kind of come out and just uh, expose that they're huge fans of his work but it just hasn't been easy <laughs> to know who is and isn't a fan so that's true. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like uh, he's a guy that always kind of di was divisive amongst fans, which really surprises me. You know, the certain <laughs> people that are generally just loved, and other people were just like, you know, like, oh, I'm on the fence about George. I, I always found him to be. He always delivered for me, and and everything. I mean, really, if I had to nail nail down any one film of his that I really like, just completely would will never watch again. You know, there's only one, and that's um, there's always vanilla. It's just not my jam. <laughs> you know. Oh, fair enough. I, I I mean, I saw the special feature before I watched the movie, and he was just like, I don't even have any love for it. It's just a movie I did to, you know, get what I. He he pulled a Coppola, so to speak. You do the Godfather, so you can do the conversation in Apocalypse Now. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes you got to do one of those ones that you don't like in order to get to the the point where it's like, okay, here's my dream project. Yeah, because, I mean, it was one of those where it kind of does lose some steam by the second act where you're like, okay, we, there are some good movies where it's just dialogue-based, uh, but it is kind of one of those. It's like, you, you do wonder if he definitely got bored before even halfway through production, <laughs> This is like it's watchable, but it's it's definitely not going to make a top ten. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and yeah, uh, I never saw a document of the dead, but I think that's been included on some of the special features on other movies. It's good. All right, it's a good documentary. I bet. That's another one that I, I actually I bought at a convention about a year and a half ago uh, on Laserdisc because I'm an avid Laserdisc collector, and I've never opened it. I have it on VHS, but like I've never opened it because it's still sealed. And I'm just like, this is kind of priceless. I, I just mm -hmm. can't I can't break the seal on it. I can't bring myself to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it is the iron chest that shall not be opened. Now, right, right. <laughs> Apparently, it is on my Anchor Bay. DVD, so that's just one of the special features I need to get off my ass and watch. So <laughs> just seeing the different versions of it. Um I do think it is interesting though how it is like it does make you wonder which version all of us originally saw. What did we see the uncuts theatrical cut or did we see the extended, you know, overseas cut first off? Because it seems like I think the one on YouTube that some people see is the full uncut version, but I could be wrong. You know, it's just weird. I've seen so many different cuts of it. I don't even know which one I saw first. They all kind of just yeah, melt together. Sure either. <laughs> Did it have the iconic music? Because I know that's the one key indicator. If the, if you don't hear the classic music, 
and all the other notable stuff that you remember from it, then it's the Argento overseas Italy cut where he took out all the humor. Yeah, I must have seen the, the, the original theatrical cut first. I got I got the one version. Oh, uh, I forgot the 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 ultimate edition. that has got like four yeah. different versions of it on there. Oh, four. Now there's four. <laughs> yeah, there's like an international cut, a German cut, a, a, an Italian cut, and then I think a full-on director's cut that's like, like a conglomeration of everything. Jesus. And, and it's yeah. it's a an expansive edition. It's a yeah, it's it's it was it's a chore. It's a chore to get through. It's kind of like watching The Irishman. You need to do it in shifts. <laughs> you know, you gotta watch, like I'm gonna watch two hours of this, take a break, come back, watch the other two hours. <laughs> there you go. Um, and that's a good way to put it because it's like there are some movies. I mean, I did that with Justice League. It's like, okay, we're watching the first hour and it's midnight, so good night. See you tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not going to do this all in one jam. This is too much to just take all in one scoop. And yeah. I don't know. Some movies yeah. just, they are meant for home video versus in the theater. Because there's some where it's just like, I don't know, because the expectations are high, they just don't play well in a crowd theater. Although I do feel sorry that I've never had the chance to see any of any of his movies in theaters. <laughs> so, And it didn't help that, again, it's just like, he he was always kind of through an independent label, so he wasn't the first title that I saw, you know, other than Don at a, at a video store. <laughs> and I it take wasn't it wasn't his only real big, like, studio-backed film, wasn't that um, Land of the Dead? Half. Or, or, well, yeah, then then Land, but yeah, it's like... Dark Half and Land. And you had to go online on the internet or look at film history books to know which was in which order, which came out when, you know... <laughs> Uh, but I, I do I do see just about every channel plays Night of Living Dead. I mean, I know my PBS played it this Halloween at one in the morning. So, I mean, there's there's all sorts of his movies that I think get rediscovered that are on movie channels. I'm glad you brought up Dark Half. That's like a favorite of, I think, MGM or Stars to play. So, yeah. Um, and I so here's another theory for you. I know John is a is a big fan of this. Do you believe the rumor that he essentially ghost directed Maximum Overdrive for Steven? No, okay. not at all. Because that movie is obviously, obviously. Now, now I'm going to say this with a lot of love. I love Maximum Overdrive for what it is. It's a crazy balls to the wall coke binge. That that is oh, yeah. all Stephen King. I, I I don't believe that George. Uh, okay, because I was thinking all. the same thing, especially when other people who talked about the trivia said he was just on set offering advice. I'm like, yeah, so that's the equivalent of Spielberg directed the opening of Revenge of the Sith and the part of the henchman entering the palace in Scarface. You know, that's that's <laughs> if anything, he might have told some a dolly guy to, you know, set up a shot. That's it. He didn't actually say, Stephen, you got to do it. And. If everyone was on drugs, then yeah, sure. <laughs> no yeah, I mean, like that was that was just Stephen King coked out of his mind. But you know, <laughs> I love that movie. God, I love that oh, movie. I do. Too. <laughs> just a lot of fun. I don't know what to make of it, but I totally understand it. It is a cult movie. I have seen. I'm a sorry bastard. I've actually seen the remake Trucks a few different times just because it was on TV a lot. I, still I was seen just going to so. bring up Trucks. <laughs> I don't know why anyone says that 
is like it went from being rated PG-13 to R based on certain DVD versions. And I'm just like, I don't recall either version being violent at all. No, no. God, that, that those that, the trucks was was boring. Boring with a capital <laughs> I'd I'd think I'd rather have like uh, a hot coffee enema than watch Trucks again. <laughs> this this sucked because I mean I was coming in to where I was watching all kinds of movies, just like independent movies and everything, because every virtually everything was being played on cable TV. It didn't matter if it had been straight to the video store or in a theater or a festival is like, I saw all kinds of stuff. So it always kind of took a while. Cause almost every, it, it seemed like until to around like maybe 2001, 2004, where it became pretty obvious what was filmed on a video camera versus, uh, you know, regular film. Cause almost everyone was using film and shooting for 10,000 versus 10 million. And, right. and like anything that was on just video cassette, it pretty much only made its way to like a mom and pop store and never played on even a movie channel. <laughs> they had standards too, believe it or not. So, I mean, wait, now, they had standards? No standards. <laughs> standards? Question mark. As long as it's shot on film, we'll air it. <laughs> uh, doesn't matter well, there, if it doesn't make sense and it's stupid. <laughs> there was a lot of those movies in the late 90s and early to, uh, the early 2000s that were shot, you know, digitally on like mini DV that were given like the film transfer. Yeah, look. the Poughkeepsie tapes and Blair Witch were kind of examples is like and then yeah. then you have record where it's digitally made to look like, uh, you know, uh, uh, it like it's shot on tape, but it isn't, you know, and. So I think that was always kind of the gimmick. And I mean, you just were explaining some of your earlier kind of experiences making movies. It really did get annoying how so many people would say that looks fake. And it's like, if I told you what it was made for, would it change your mind? It's amazing how many suckers you can actually convince to do that. And I'm like, yeah, no, not even that you can yeah. break it all the time. I've seen plenty of movies. And then when someone told me the number that they shot for 400, I'm like, well, that's pretty good. Would have never guessed it. I thought it looked more like a ten thousand. Uh, yeah, movie. yeah. But that's what I hate too. So many people predict that they can only make it if it's like two million. I'm like bullshit. <laughs> it does not matter if you have a vision, you can make it. You know. <laughs> yeah, I I, well, I feel like people that say they can can only make a movie for X amount of dollars. Just... If you have no imagination, sure. Right. <laughs> you can't make this at all. Cut. Because those are the same people. I want to work with so and so. It's like, well, they're not going to work for anything under two million. So good luck. <laughs> it's like, and you don't need an A-lister to attract your movie. So I think yes, Romero is just a pioneer, and as much as Sam Raimi was with zombies and horror movies, but he's also just, in general, like he's just. You see all the dark humor and off-color jokes, especially in Bruiser and Dark Half and. Uh, the dialogue and night riders and uh, uh, like you said earlier before with um uh creep show is like he just loves movies in general it's just like give it your all and it pays off uh, and so it is kind of wild how we're going to keep going through all his lost films <laughs> that he has and well, i mean there's you know with the the discovery of the martin director's cut and then the discovery of the amusement park 
you know, it makes me wonder what else is out there. I'm glad you brought up amusement park because now many people are, that's making like their top 10 Romero lists. And I'm like, I can't blame them. It's a short to the point and it's scary without even being gruesome. And you're like, this is just what we need in this time and days. This is corporate America summed up. <laughs> oh yeah. It was very, um, what's the term I'm looking for? Uh, prophetic. You Pro know. Very prophetic. Yeah. Cause it's just like, it's like, Perfect. This is kind of why I stopped going to a lot of these. You know, it's like you get cotton candy, but is it really cotton candy? You get right, <laughs> but you feel like shit. Your innards want to explode. You know, it's, and I mean, my sister has a sore back, and it's just from riding one of those roller coasters like over six years ago. So <laughs> it makes you wonder. You know, it's like uh, we just like his fans eat each other alive. Society in general kind of just hates itself. That's why we keep eating all this food that is horrific for our innards. That are, and that's why we, I mean, even go to all these other places that, I mean, I was even disappointed at the last Texas Frightmare I went to, to where I kind of just left early. I was just like, this is so corporatized. I really don't like it. <laughs> uh, I will admit that about the only convention I like going to much anymore is uh, Cinema Wasteland. Oh, that has to be a blast. Yeah, Cinema Wasteland is uh, a convention in uh, Strongsville, Ohio. I've been going for about 10 years, and I'm thankful for it because I met my wife there. I met, her, I met her there. We started dating a few weeks later and, you know, eventually got married. And, and you know, so I'll, you know, I'll forever be, be, be thankful for that. But it's it's, great. it's conventions like I remember them from the late 80s and early 90s. There's There's no photo ops. There's no huge lines. It's just dirty driving grindhouse exploitation films and actors and and it's not just anyone gets invited (laughs) yeah i mean like they they always have themes they always have like a theme you know they always uh you know have pick a movie and run with it the first one i went to they had a reunion for fulci zombie and 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 i'm so glad you brought that up because you're the second person i had mac lambert of mac at the movies and we were talking about zombie films and he went to a screening this year this is like it's interesting what stuff you know is playing at stuff like this and it's like that's great because like you say it you a lot of the crazies kind of exit stage right you know and so you actually get to enjoy it with people who are actually you know film buffs and like kind of you know, movies that are being culturally reevaluated or, you know, might even be a guilty pleasure, you know? And yeah, it's is a great show. If you, if you can ever, ever, ever make it, you ever make it to Ohio and go, go to it. It was just, um, they just had their first convention since the pandemic hit, uh, about two and a half, three weeks ago. And oh, it was, nice. it was great. It was, did you like was, a Q and a with any historians or anything or, they usually do. Um, I we only could go for one day because we had a wedding to go to the the on on Saturday, so it was kind of like oh. kind of hit, hit and go. But the 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 one previous, but right before the pandemic hit, they had John Russo there, and he had premiered a movie he did called My Uncle John Is a Zombie. I'm so glad you brought that up. So, I think I did see that on Tubi, and that was one of those. I'm glad I saw it. At the same time, it's just it kind of made me wish Romero had kind of helmed it because it's kind of, it's kind of a meta movie, you know, where it's like some of the supporting characters, like the deputies or something are in it from night of the living dead. So it's like, yeah, the night of the living dead universe is still very complicated. <laughs> oh yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I think but... some gags worked. I definitely dug the cast, but I don't know. There were some other moments where I'm like, yeah, this could be a little cleaned up a bit, like just in how it's shot and edited. Yeah, it it, it felt a, to be quite honest, it felt a little a little cheap, you know. Even but, that, even by cheap movie standards. But even yeah. by cheap movie standards, but it was fun. It had a good a good sense of humor about it, and I love the kind of meta ness. I don't even know if that's a word meta-ness, but it, it, it kind of is. It kind of is, <laughs> is. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's great. And they usually have uh they had a couple uh Night of the Living Dead reunions where they had uh, Judith O'Day there. And they had uh Kyra Sean there a couple of times. They're very uh very friendly people. to the old flicks and whatnot. So yeah, it's it's a it's a great show. Uncle but Uncle John looks like John A. Russo, so there you go, even more meta and Hence the name, oh. Uncle John. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> but he's 82 years old. I can't believe it. So. I've, I've shared a few beers with the man, uh, <laughs> actually, at, at a, a Day of the Dead convention. Oh, many, nice. many years ago, nice. there was a party, a roaming party that was going from room to room. And I literally look over as I'm talking to my wife. John Russo was in the room. I'm just like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> like this is happening? Like. Yeah. I was like, we're not leaving this party. We're not. We're not going to the Roman party. We're staying in this room because this is this is where it's happening. It was him, and then of all people, Michael Berryman showed up. Ooh. Okay. So it was just like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> staying right here. <laughs> we're gonna hear. We're gonna hear at least one or two good stories. I can guarantee it. Right. As opposed to people who don't want to be bothered. Move along. <laughs> right. Oh man, uh, so I feel like we've kind of uh, gone through just about all of his stuff and agreed that just all of his works should be checked out at some point or another. Um, if you have, I guess, any other closing thoughts, uh, who do you think is trying to be the next Romero? Not that they can be, but is kind of giving it their best shot of doing a lot of similar kind of uh, just get together with their friends and actually doing a pretty competent job as because it seems like everyone else is just doing homages or just, again, just getting hammered with their friends and doing, putting a piece of shit on Amazon prime. <laughs> um, yeah. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anybody. It's, I can't. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, know. often, often imitated, never duplicated is what I say. I mean, there's uh, plenty of people that are doing their own thing. But I don't think anybody is really on George's level, to to be quite honest. I they mean, don't have might his be... patience and sincereness and just even his organization. Because I think that's just it, too. You've been on some movies that went well and others that didn't go well. I've been on too many that just were clusterfucks. So it's like, I think he really is kind of uh, just getting into is like, I guess you could say he makes his works a brand. He's like, regardless of what studio owns it, regardless of, you know, what premise it follows, he's like, he, it, it, he takes all of it very seriously, regardless of, you know, what time of his life or when he made it. He really, uh, you know, I mean, you see how he even got some of his, act, one of his, his second wife, an actress, on, on, into Season of the Witch, you know, and she had bit parts in some of his other movies, so... Uh, uh, I guess you could even say he's some, he's a icon of Canadian cinema, being both you know, an American and a Canadian. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still trying to think of anybody that might be doing, you know, doing their own thing Raymond that way. Run and gun, and he was just like, "What are you like, Evil Dead, for deliberately or unintentionally?" You know, it's just an iconic movie for that genre. So then, you know, Joe Dante clearly likes a lot of movies, but he's hasn't really done much lately. Just kind of started doing anthology stuff. So. Yeah, I would say Romero is the Walter Hill of uh, the horror genre. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, analogy there. That's he, a, cause, yeah, because you've seen Walter do all his action and crime movies and dramas, but he kind of is just not a neo western guy. It's like Romero basically has everybody being gunfighters and <laughs> mercenaries and <laughs> all the other spaghetti western tropes and just putting them into a survival movie. And I mean, again, like you say, the rest of the time, he kind of just does character studies, just like Martin is like Bruiser and the Dark Apper, essentially Martin two and three. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, I'm just glad he got honored, he got acknowledged, he never went away, even if everyone had only seen like maybe three of his movies, you know, if they'd only seen the Dead trilogy. And I'm wondering even what movie channels would have probably shown that at the time, you know. Because that was always kind of the thing, you know, it's like if you don't go to the video store, then you use one of the pay channels and you record a hit movie off the telly, you know. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, if yeah. you did, couldn't rent it on video, you know, you had what HBO Cinemax and Showtime back in the day. That was really about it. Yeah. And I mean, because and especially depending on which version you saw of this movie, because they were a lot of independent labels that acquired it. I noticed <laughs> this is like interesting because, yeah. Some of them definitely had to cut out some of the more graphic bits, and some of them just left it uncut, and they just put the label saying, don't rent this, <laughs> parents. <Right. laughs> Let me see who really... You, you yeah, know, I, I did think of somebody, though, that might be you might just consider all not, not even like on Romero's level, but someone who uses the same people and does consistently decent work as Mike Flanagan. I, I personally I'm so like, glad you brought him up. Cause, I yeah, like Gerald's he, Game. I liked uh, Dr. Sleep, uh, uh, Midnight Mass I just got into. You know, uh, you know, Hush is really uh, very, very underrated if you've never seen Hush. I uh, actually still need to, but I, it's been interesting how a lot of my pals were just talking about it for days. Like it was showing up on every other streaming platform. You're like, how did I not see this? This is great. Um, I've been a fan yeah, of he'd, since he'd be about the only, yeah, he's only one that comes close. Stuff. <laughs> I'm also Oculus and Dr. Sleep. I've not seen Hush yet. The meaning to. Uh, but yeah, Hunting of Hill House, I think, because it took the world by storm, uh, I think I think he's going to, that's his, he, he's got it in the bank for sure. Netflix is going to leave him alone, let him, and like you just summed up, Scott, he's basically he can film on any kind of budget. So, you know, we have plenty of our other icons who did a bunch of indie dramas and comedies and action movies on any kind of budget, whether it was 10,000, 20,000. But I think he is definitely shown that, you know, he's comfortable getting other creatives involved who aren't going to fuck with his vision. And like you say, yeah, he casts his wife in every role and she's a good actress. They cast a bunch of his other friends you even see that there's like other people named Flanagan in your, the title, and I can't find anything about them. Like, are they related, or this is just a coincidence? Right. 
And he does a lot. Um, you know, he he's done a couple of uh, you know Stephen King adaptations, and he's one of the few people that I think a lot of people you know that get into horror movies are like their yeah King their dream is like, hey, I want to adapt <laughs> King. He seems to have done it right. Yeah, it's like fans of the books will we'll leave them be, and then people like us who want to actually just see a, just a really good movie in general will just say, yeah, you know, <laughs> definitely a top ten. <laughs> Pretty agreeable. Yeah. So yeah, I'm seeing Dawn of the Dead, yeah, is owned by... It used to claim that it was owned by a United Film Distribution Company. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, they seem to have, I guess, folded up since 87 and aren't seen on certain prints, so. Huh, really? Uh, it's all good. I'm, I'm going to be doing some specials soon on certain film companies, so <laughs> get ready. Um, right on, right on. Uh, thank you ever so much for being on here. Would you care to uh, do some plugging for on your own terms? <laughs> oh, yeah, um. Hell, I mean, I, I, I run a, a network called Cinema Degeneration. Uh, I'm ho hosting everything on Podbean. I have several shows. I, I do one with my wife called Creature Feature Dinner Theater. Woo. I do I do one called Howling at the Full Moon, which is everything and anything uh, Charles Band related from the Ooh. Empire International Picture Days to even some of the, you know, to all the, the actual full moon stuff. But I, I got one called Sequel 2 Deja Vu. With all sequels and everything, and prequels, remakes. We've got several theme shows. Grindhouse Pizzeria, which focuses on grindhouse and exploitation uh, films. Uh, I got several other shows, but I don't want to plug everything and be shameless. But <laughs> those are several. There's a couple of the big ones. I do have a new one that's getting ready to come out uh, that I'm working on uh, called, uh, well, it's actually the, the first episode's dropped, but it's a, an all Nicolas Cage podcast <laughs> called Br Brilliantly Insane, The Age of Cage. Really we start, insane. we started off with doing, uh, Prisoners of the Ghostland. So oh boy. I had a, I had a lot of fun doing that one. I got a couple more it, like recorded and in the bank, but they haven't released yet. Uh, I take it you will, uh, you might start using the Ovid from Community Line, Nicolas Cage. Good actor, bad actor, or just brilliant? <laughs> yeah, I think it might be a little bit of both. I, I, well, I, that's I, what I, he ends up with. He just runs well, out of the room after doing a cage impression. <laughs> <laughs> he can't describe him. He's like, is Nicolas Cage? <laughs> yeah, but I, I recently retired here in the last uh, like year and a half, two years, so I've been doing nothing but... Fuck like, you, world! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I had a long, long story short, I, I had a heart heart attack a couple of years ago and had a couple oh, of open wow. open heart surgeries, so I had to had to kind of leave the 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 line of work I was doing, and so now I just devote everything to filmmaking, uh, podcasting, and cooking. <laughs> I was just about to say you might do a cooking show since everyone seems to be doing that now. <laughs> oh man, I order all food online, and I've been doing Green Chef, and now I have to tell myself, okay, you're gonna start. Uh, dragging these out and the food's gonna literally be a zombie by the time you eat it you <laughs> pause it a few weeks and you know cook them once a week <laughs> oh man you poke it with a fork it talks back to you like whoa hey what the fuck oh yeah there you go blue apron what's inside <laughs> really <laughs> stop poking me oh, <laughs> oh, there you go there you might start pitching ideas to charles band <laughs> there you go 
<laughs> He'll probably do it. He did a stupid low-budget movie called Corona Zombies, for God's sake. So, anyway. We reviewed that about three months ago. <laughs> Listen to your episode. I can't wait. It's fun. It's a fun movie. It's not a good movie, but it's a fun movie. <laughs> well, that's why I like about him, too. He's just, you can tell he has a sense of fun in all of his movies, and I don't regret any of them for a minute, even regardless of their quality. <laughs> uh, same here. Same here, brother. I mean, I don't know why there wasn't Puppet Master versus Chucky. Oh God, I would, I would pay, I would pay hard-earned money to to see that. I would pay hard-earned money. The surprise never happened. <laughs> there you go. Any, any versus movie for Chucky would have been way better than where the franchise is gone. Very <laughs> true. Oh man. So thank you ever so much for being on here, and thank you. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a rough you watch one. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey and I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. It's time. Let's check our cue, baby. 
Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one last plot, holes are gratuitous It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At eilfm.podbean.com. Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I'm your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zemanoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well, then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites curiosities and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook 
at facebook.com slash groups slash vdclinicpod or email them at vdclinicpod at gmail.com They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet, and in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We now continue with our program. on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a